Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, action, and choices that you can make to bring more joy into your life, into the world, and into other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 240 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I'm really excited to have Tara McMullen, the founder and host of What Works, a podcast and a community that's dedicated to having discussions with small business owners about what is working for them in today's world. It is such a treat to have Tara on the show, and we're talking about how in her life and in her business over the last few years, she has made many changes and pivoted several times in the way that she approached the business and how she embraces and approaches her life as well. I know you're just going to love this conversation that we have, and I can't wait to share it with you. Before we get to that interview, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for joining me this week and always. If you're new to the show, Jumpstart Your Joy has been on the air for five years uh, plus. (laughs) If you're curious about me or about the show, you can find everything you need to know over at the website, which is at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can also find the show notes. Tara and I are going to talk about several books and ideas. And if you want to get the links to those, you can find them uh, online. You can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Tara. T-A-R-A. And while you're there, I also encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, which is Three Joyful Things. And that's where I take a look at the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more joy into your everyday life. It's usually inspired by something amazing that a guest says or an aha moment that I have during the week. And then we kind of unpack how you can bring that to to life in your world in a new way. The other thing that's coming up this week is there's going to be a couple of opportunities for you and I to interact live and online. The first one is on Wednesday. I'm going to be revisiting my balance and defining what's important for you. Workshop, especially during these unusual times, as we're recording here, March 24th of 2020. So that's Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And that'll be on Zoom. So you can get the link in the show notes. And then the other one will be at 2 p.m. on Thursday, the 26th. And I will be joined by Mallory Weisong. We're going to talk about how you can tap into energy, lunar abundance style, and consider breath work as a couple of ways to find a better way to flow and tap into the natural energy that is going through all of us all the time. So if you want to learn about how we've started to use some of that in our business, I encourage you to attend. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm doing a workshop every Thursday for a little while as we get through this coronavirus pandemic as an offering and a way to spend more time with you guys in the community. So I'm really excited to share this conversation that I had with Tara McMullen with you all. Just for context, it was recorded at the end of February, so before the coronavirus sprang on the scene in a big way here in the U.S., and that'll give a little context for the conversation because we don't reference it, but I think it's a really timely and important conversation for everyone to consider because what Tara and I are diving into is the way that she's pivoted her life and her business over the last few years and how she's become even more aligned with her values and what she wants to bring into the world in a new way. And it's really exciting to hear her talk about it and also see how it's played out now that she has made the pivot. What are the changes that she's seen? And I think this is really important because my guess is 
that as we work our way through this pandemic and see who we are and what really becomes important, I'm imagining that many of us will want to pivot in our own lives in some way. And so I think there's a lot of inspiration that you could take from this conversation. Welcome to the show, Tara McMullen. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yay! Totally just did the happy dance. (laughs) Really been looking forward to having you on. Well, the first question question that I like to ask everyone is, tell us what you loved most as a child or in school. What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh, my earliest sparks of joy. Probably, I, I think I would have to put them broadly under the category of performance. I have always been a performer in one sort or another. I would still put myself in that category to this very, very day. And early, it was sports and it was music. So sports was really the focus, I think, of my very early years. And then music started to gain on that over time and to the point where I was like, all right, Tara, it's high school now. You're going to have to choose what direction are you going in? And yeah. I was like, well, music, I'm way more likely to get a music scholarship out of than a, than a softball scholarship. That was not going to happen. Yeah. But regardless, just the opportunity to perform, the opportunity to show off, the opportunity <laughs> to do my thing that I do really well is something that always sparks joy for me. And so it was it was definitely music and sports as a child. And, and then today, it's all the stuff I get to do today as a business owner. I remember seeing your post about you loving softball. And oh, yeah, uh, that was my short too. And I was also a pitcher and it was like, oh, yeah. It's hard with even when spring hits, I want to like, I want to go out to the field. <laughs> I know if I could find a women's fast pitch, fast pitch league around here, I would do it again in a heartbeat, but it's like, everyone's playing slow pitch and that's cool for them, but that is not the sport that I play. <laughs> right. and I do not want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I was a slow pitch pitcher. Gotcha. Would you like to share what it is that you are doing and, and who you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the the host and founder of What Works. So What Works is a small business podcast where we talk to small business owners about what's actually working for them. And that means that we look at all sorts of different ways to do things. So whether it's project management or it's marketing or it's content, building an audience, hiring, we look at it from all different angles and we talk about all the different ways that people make it work. And really our goal is to kind of transcend all of the hype that's out there about starting and running and growing an online business. So that's one side of things. On the on the opposite side of that business, we also have a community called the What Works Network. And the idea is very much the same, where we encourage people to talk about what's working and what's not working in their businesses, really trade notes on what they're learning about their businesses, learning about themselves, and really just help each other out so that everyone in the community can make better decisions about running and growing their small businesses. We also run some masterminds alongside of that as well. And yeah, that's so that's one company. And then also... We have a second business uh, called Yellow House Media that I run with my husband where we uh, help people launch standout podcasts. So awesome. And it's such a growing field. Yes. yes. I love being in this space too. It's so amazing. And so cool. I don't know if you see this, but it's growing so quickly that like I see people who are podcast producers, like opening up the gates and teaching other people to be podcast producers because we just see it like 
it's going. <laughs> yes. No, that's so funny because I was just thinking about that. Like, all right, so we've got the full service production piece side of it. We're going to have some group offers coming in the next couple of months that I'm really excited about. And it's like, I'm developing this group offer and I can see the writing on the wall. People are going to come to us and say, Tara, can you teach me how to produce podcasts for other people? Right. And I'm like, how am I going to answer that question? I don't know if that's something I want to do or not, but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. It's really cool to see an industry just blow up. It's yes. like so much fun to be in the midst of it and the energy involved. So yeah. One of the things I'm kind of looking at this month is around how people are approaching that the, the intersection mm-hmm. of how we bring our own lives into a business and create something that is in honor of all the things, which yeah. of course it's so much easier said in one sentence than it actually is in practice. I really wanted to have you on because you've done this amazing job of of really sharing about who you are and some of the challenges that you face and how you've opened up about that over the last few years. And I wanted to know if you would tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think my philosophy around this and my approach to this today is very, very different than it was five, six, seven years ago. So what works business in one form or another has been around for about 11 years now. And early on in the trajectory of that side of things, I was building a personal brand. I was building a very expert-based business where people wanted to come to me and have me tell them how to run their businesses. And I always felt like I needed to sort of be above the fray. Like I had to have an answer. I had to have a an opinion. I had to be doing it right. And whatever I decided for my own business, I needed to be able to turn that into actionable advice for somebody else and say, I'm doing this this way and here's why you should do it that way too. And it's really a big piece of how sort of the advice industry is built. And I was kind of following that path with that. But I had a lot of personal values that were actually pretty misaligned with that path. I am a person who really values independent thinking, values agency. I So my uh, undergrad degree is in religious studies. And yeah. Oh, did we talk about that before? I don't, think I don't know. I'm sorry. I had to totally interject. I don't know. Did we? I don't feel like we did. I know so many amazing people who have religious studies degrees. Kids, it's still a viable career path. Is- you won't be doing religious studies though. <laughs> Oh no. Anyhow, (laughs) my focus was in a a, a tiny area of Christian theology, popularized by the death of God movement, but starting in what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called religionless Christianity. All of that to say is that I'm very like (laughs) anti-institution. I'm very much for free thinking, um, kind of coming to your own answers, respecting the answers that other people come to using similar information. Like that's, that is what I'm interested in and I'm interested in and how we learn from each other within that freedom of thought. And so I was started to really get uncomfortable with that idea that I'm supposed to be somehow above the fray in the small business world and that I'm supposed to have the answers and that I'm supposed to be telling other people what to do and that I'm supposed to build some sort of institutional program for people to like move themselves through. I'm like, I don't, I don't like this. And it didn't feel good to me. Once I realized that and sort of ironically had a come to Jesus moment around it, I decided to completely switch up my business model. 
the decision to switch up my business model was very much based on like, okay, I'm going to take these things that are important to me. I'm going to put them into my business, but I hadn't yet made all of the mindset shifts around it that I needed to make. So the business model shift that we made was um, one where I was the expert and advice was my job to a product in which we have a no advice policy and where we talk much more about experience than we do about expertise. So we own our own experience in the conversations that we have, and we have a non-hierarchical approach to trading notes about business building. So like intellectually, I was 100% on board with this. But what I didn't realize was how many stories were in my head about still how I'm supposed to be showing up, how I'm supposed to be promoting this, what my role is in this community. So it took me about a year of working through this business model to realize that I wasn't showing up in a way that walked the talk that our business was now based on. And so I had to start getting comfortable doing what I was asking other people to do. I had to say, this is what's working for me right now. And it might not be what works for you, but here's how I'm doing it. And I had to get comfortable saying, this is what's not working for me right now. This is what's really hard. And some of that was business stuff. Some of it was life stuff. Some of it was financial stuff. Some of it was health stuff. But I just started really practicing showing up and telling stories about what was actually going on in my life, whether they had a lesson to them or not, right? And kind of leaning into not knowing how it was going to be received, leaning into it not necessarily having a sales pitch at the end of it, leaning into it not necessarily building my brand in the way I was, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, supposed to be building my brand. But the feedback I got from that and continue to get from showing up and sharing in that way has been just absolutely transformational. I can really start to see that, no, this this does work. This is what people want to see. They want to see people being real. They want honesty. They want transparency. They want real vulnerability. And then toward the end of last year, actually, I read this book uh, that I've been raving about to so many people called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And in this book, it's, it's about hosting and facilitating events and communities. And at one point in this book, she tells a story about another facilitator she knows whose philosophy is that when you are asking people to share at an event, when you're asking them to engage, you have to be willing to go two or three steps further with what you share for them to get to the point where they're comfortable, where they feel safe sharing at the level you want them to share. And that really clicked and resonated (laughs) with me because I realized if I want people to share X, Y, and Z, I need to be able to share X to the 10th degree, Y to the 10th degree, Z to the 10th degree, for them to have permission to go not even quite that far. And so that's when it really started to become, this isn't just something that I'm doing to start a conversation. This is an integral part of how I have to lead in order to create the community, in order to nurture the community that I really want to see grow uh, in the world. Mm, I love that. And I mean, like... uh thank you for sharing all of it. I think it's amazing because I'm kind of sitting over here scurrying in my seat because it was like, there's a lot of like 
if I might say, Franciscan theology around hospitality involved yeah. with the art of gathering too. And it's, uh, it also harkens back to, I went to divinity school myself. And one of the things that I did was I was the community life coordinator. And they oh, told cool. me like, okay, so one of the things you do is you go every day and have lunch with like the people in the refectory, which is the dining hall. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I didn't, I'm signing up for that because I noticed that the last year the person had, in fact, always been there. She was amazing. Amy was always around. And I think there is something really about being there so that you can have the conversations and being the person that people know that they can talk to and trust, that then that creates community, community life coordinator. And there she is. I mean, but it's the act of it and the mindful noticing that you're doing things to create it instead of it just being you're there participating or just thinking it might happen on its own, which I've been guilty of in yeah. creating a community sometimes. Yeah. Actually, that leads me to another p- piece that was kind of uh, an aha moment for me in this book, which is that Parker talks about her the idea of a chill host. And the chill host is someone who, you know, they figure if they bring the right people together and they have the right catering and they have the right space that then spontaneity will just take over and the right conversations will be had and people will meet the people that they need to meet. And like, that is so me (laughs) when it comes to events and community. Like, we're just going to create this space and we're going to have the right policies and we're going to attract the right members and then we'll just let it happen and the rest of it will just take care of itself. That is not how it works. (laughs) You have got to show up, provide structure, enforce structure, be present And it doesn't mean making the community revolve around you because obviously that is a complete, like that is completely against what I believe in when it comes to building community and and this business model that we have kind of landed on. But it does mean being an example and setting the ball in motion. And so that's what we try and do on a daily basis. It's why I do the podcast the way I do it. It's why we have an editorial calendar the way we have it. It's like every little detail of our community is built around um, creating that momentum, creating that structure, encouraging people to share and being very, very mindful about how we do it. And I love that. And I know it shines through that the thoughtfulness, it's like you're preparing the table, right? For the great dinner. Like you had to have thought about all the appetizers and the place cards and who's sitting next to each other. It doesn't just happen because you knew that thing about Bob. We don't know Bob, but you know, and Julie, and they were going to have a great conversation because you know them both. And yeah, I think that's super interesting. Would you like to talk a little bit about I remember having hearing your talk at She Podcasts Live, and you shared a little bit about your content calendar, which is mm-hmm. which is robust. It is, <laughs> if I might add, but like, it's you more robust? Has it? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's inspiring though, because I think a lot of people to this same maybe through line maybe think that some podcast hosts show up. You know, somehow we've gotten on a you know recording here, and we just shoot the breeze, and then mm-hmm. we publish, and I. Uh, some people, when they come to me to launch their show, are a little taken aback about how much work actually does go into a show. So I would, I would love to have you share also what it is that you do to prepare for your show. Yeah. So our editorial calendar is sort of the lifeblood of both the podcast and our community. And they're managed through one editorial calendar because they completely overlap. So whatever we're talking about on the podcast is what we're talking about in the community as well. That's the structure that we're providing for the month. So every month, 
we tackle a different theme. That theme is inspired by the conversations that I see happening in our community. It's also inspired by the conversations I don't see happening in our community. You know, if I think, oh, we really should be talking about this and no one is talking about this, it will show up on the podcast. And we plan those things out pretty far in advance. So like last October, my team and I sat down and we planned out all of 2020. And we planned out like the broad themes. Then as time goes on, I kind of let my own creativity and inspiration and whatever conversations are happening kind of allow me to drill down into what specifically I want to cover on uh, that month. So for instance, this is the end of February when we're recording this. We spent the month on leadership. And leadership is a really broad topic. But what I really wanted to talk about was how business leaders operationalize their core values. So how do you take your personal values and turn them into systems, policies, procedures that actually make those things happen in your business from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top? So we take that high-level theme and we make it more specific. And then the other thing then that we do is I think about, all right, I've got four guest spots most months. Um, what are the four stories that I want to tell on that theme that month? We don't have guests come to us and I say, oh, what do you want to talk about? Or like, oh, this could be fun. We go out and we source guests for specific stories so that I'm sure that we're covering a topic in the way that I want to cover it and that we're covering it from different angles because of value for us. One of the ways we operationalize our values is by saying, you know, there's lots of different ways to get this done. (laughs) For instance, in January, we did project management. Four different people, four different businesses, four different business types, lots of different software solutions, lots of different approaches. They're all valid. They were all great. And those people all run very organized businesses. But it goes to show that there is not one single way to do this right. There's what works. So that's how we approach it kind of broadly. And then from there, once we have the podcast content figured out, because we do lead with the podcast, then we circle around and we say, okay, what conversations do we want to start around this in the community? And so that turns into questions. It turns into uh, kind of articles or prompts. It turns into events. So we host events around those themes as well. And we really just try and make it one big conversation that evolves throughout the month. And it works really well for us. I think it's helpful to understand, I mean, both for so some of the audience are people who are starting out, they're, they're new coaches, maybe they're just looking at starting a business mm-hmm. of their own. And there's a couple of things that I know that that group, and you probably are very aware of this as well, but like that they come up against, which is one, I got to follow a blueprint of some mm-hmm. sort. We're just my last, this last month that we're just coming out of was the joy of marketing month, which was more Ooh. like follow. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I actually love it. But um, so like, do how do you create things that are joyfully representative of yourself and what you love? Sounds I'll link up. I, I, I know some of the values conversations that you were having, or there's probably like this great dovetail if people are curious about it, because that's really the heart of it. It's like, what? Okay. That's great. There's those things. And, and your, you know, your email cookie, if you will, to get people to sign up and all like, those are great, but like, okay, but what do you want to do? And that's what this podcast even came out of was I was like, no, I don't, I mean, I've already had a blog at that point for like eight years and I, yeah. I didn't really love it. So <laughs> I was like, I want to do a podcast. And then there, here we are. But I think it's really interesting because they come up against this thing where they have to do the things that other people do or that were successful for other people. 
and kind of get caught up in, in not trusting themselves enough that what they believe to be the right path would be the right path. So I think there's a lot of interesting topics in there. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to people who are just starting off, so we market our community to experienced business owners. Right, so yes. ideally, you know, right on our sales page, we say, if you haven't been in business a year or longer, this is probably not the place yeah. for you. And really right. most of our members have been in business three to 10 years. So it's a very experienced group of people and they've been around the block and it doesn't mean everyone's super duper successful. It just means they've got some time under their belt, right? <laughs> Yeah. And so what we tell people to do in that first year or our suggestion, because we don't give advice, what we find most helpful is to just find the thing that you can sell and get good at selling it. So if that's a coaching package, great. Get good at selling that one coaching package. That's the only job that you have in that first year. Yeah. If it's a podcast production service, you get really good at selling that podcast production service in for that first year. And the truth of it is, it's going to take time to really figure out what the right group of services, the right number of calls and, and investment and time frame is going to be. And so your job is to work that through, iterate, 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 get better and better and better until you can say, I've got something, it sells. I, it may not sell, I'm, I might not be rich off of this one thing, yeah. but I feel confident that every time I hop on the phone with someone, they're going to buy, or most of the time. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters at the beginning. Yeah. Everything else is extra. So whether it's an opt-in incentive, or it's a Facebook page, or it's Facebook ads, or it's a podcast, those things are all extra. Any of them could work. Most of them will not help you do the thing that you need to do in the first year of your business. <laughs> That's so true. Well, and I think that first year is so, goodness, it's such, it's, it's great and amazing. And you really like, my whole phrase about it is like, it can be well-planned, but then like loosely held because yes. you're like, you know, you're going this direction and then you kind of have to keep your eyes open to oh, what just worked and like, how did that happen? And wait a minute, can I replicate those steps? And like, yeah, there's so much. I think it's fun, especially if you're a puzzle person. So I, I love that your business is such a mix of honoring your, your values and your passion, but also balancing out what you personally want and need for yourself and your family mm -hmm. and your own health. How did you get to a place where you are now listening to more of the side that you need? than following all the passion because I get wrapped up in it, right? And I want to stay up all night. But like, <laughs> how do yeah. we turn that corner? So my story on that is probably very different than a lot of people's stories because for a long time, I was living a story in my head that I was lazy, disorganized, undisciplined, and just not the kind of person who fill in the blank uh, with whatever like you associate with successful business people. And yet I was running a business that was making a lot of money, more money than I had ever dreamed of making in my life. And I was doing it, working maybe yeah, 25 hours a week. And I could have a lifestyle that was just very like, I'm going out to eat. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to drink whatever I want. I'm going to take the day off. Like it was just very loose. <laughs> and I realized at some point that wasn't working for me anymore because what I wanted was to be the kind of person who name 
the traits of truly successful people, not people who are blatantly self-promotional in the grossest ways, not people who like work 80 hours a week, but I wanted to be like the people that I knew that I really looked up to and were running incredible businesses in very sane ways because they were really applying themselves. Yeah. And so th- this happened at the same time I made the shift in my business model. So it was the end of 2016. It was when all of us were saying, what the heck? Does any of this matter? What am I doing with my life? How can I actually make a difference? And so that's when I started not only to question my business model, but really to say, how am I going to apply myself differently? How am I going to create something that allows me to become the person I want to become? And not only, like, not in a final way, but in a like, what am I creating that's going to allow me to continue moving in that direction over time? And so that's when I started making a lot of changes. Some of them were very business oriented. We already talked about the business model shift. But the other thing that really happened at that point in time was I had been running the business with a team of contractors and I took them all to employees. I said, if I'm going to be 110% committed to this, that means that I need people working for me who are also committed to this. So I took that big scary move and went from having zero employees to having six employees that year. That was scary, but so important. It, it brought me to a new level of leadership and commitment and ownership in my business. And I started just really telling myself a whole new story about who I was and what I was capable of. And then it also led to a lot of lifestyle changes for me as well. I started working out every day. I started running. I started climbing later that year. I started doing weightlifting later that year and completely changed the routine of my day and it changed my life. The other thing that started to change is that I discovered my love of the outdoors. <laughs> I had always thought of myself as a city person and kind of a sit at the bar kind of person. And I became a national parks person <laughs> and a hiker and someone who just, gosh darn it, wanted to be outside every day. And so all of those changes and they were there were so many and they were so big but they have all helped me feel more like myself than i have ever felt in my life and they have led to structuring my life and my business in a way that supports those things so that i can continue to move in the direction that i want to move every single day it's amazing i know at a certain point I feel like there was a collective shift in people saying, mm-hmm. I've been the solopreneur and I've been doing this thing, you know, kind of <laughs> piecemeal together with spreadsheets and whatever I can find. And there's a point at which we hit that. What would Oprah do? It's <laughs> one of my favorite mm-hmm. questions. I'm like, how would she approach this? Because she wouldn't be sitting here trying to piecemeal all this stuff. She would have a much higher vision for what yes. what this thing looks like. And I think that's, it's a very interesting shift to see, observe, and be a part of. I know you have a post um, on your site about that, which is where do you go from being that solopreneur to the business owner? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you see that as the same thing or is it slightly different? Very much the same thing. Yeah. I think that there is there is a mindset. So this is not a criticism. Solopreneur is not a word that I like to use because... Fair enough. 
there is this mindset around it that it's like, I can do this all by myself. This is going to be fun. I'm just going to be me and somehow get paid for it. (laughs) And I'm not at all suggesting that that's what you are saying, but it's been said a lot. And there is a Mm. lot of misconception around what exactly that means. Whereas you can work on your own. You can have, as Paul Jarvis would call it, a company of one and have that business owner mindset where you feel the responsibility of what you are building, right? It is not no longer a job. It is no longer the way you make money, but it is the vision that you have. It's the responsibility that you have. It is the personal accountability that you have to something bigger. And I think not everyone makes that shift because some people know to start there. God bless those people. (laughs) Um, But for a lot of us who drank the internet Kool-Aid early on, we've had to make that switch. And if you haven't made that switch yet, it's coming. (laughs) Um, It's coming or you're going to get burnt out because it's not sustainable to not be doing this for a bigger reason. Yes. And that is so true across the board. I mean, I think for the business side of it and for the personal side of it, unless yes. you can identify the why, it's it's just not it's just chasing the shiny penny. It's like <laughs> you can't you can't keep doing it. And thank you very much for the shift on the word solopreneur because I think I say it but I don't I actually don't know that I knew it had also that other kind of a it connotation. Just, yeah, just I feel like it just has a lot of baggage and <laughs> I just, I'm not here for it. I will say solo entrepreneur sometimes because without the portmanteau, I don't think it has as much baggage. But I'm also very careful about distinguishing between freelancers and business owners. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with freelancing. There's nothing wrong with freelancing, but it's a different mindset. It's a different approach. You're doing it for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people who are freelancing or have a solo entrepreneur, solopreneur business, they are operating in the freelance or solo entrepreneur kind of sphere, but they have business owner goals and they get frustrated because they're operating in a way that is not leading to those goals, but it never leads to those goals, right? Right. Like that's the problem. It's fine to be a freelancer, but don't think that your freelance business is going to make you a million dollars and grow your platform. And like, that's just not how freelancing works. To make that shift, you have to become a business owner. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to change the business, although you probably will. It's all in your head. (laughs) And it's a really, really important thing to get right in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is I think it takes some time to get there because it is okay to be, Yes, I I mean, for me, at least my own path had been, you know, 20 years as a project manager, well, 15 when I started, but, you know, years as a person working mostly for ad agencies in a nine to five and then slowly realizing, well, this isn't what I want, but the path Mm -hmm. out for me was a side hustle Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that kind of is like a freelancer spot. I mean, kind of, but like it does take a shift of the mentality of like, I'm doing this on the side to know this is now the biz Mm -hmm. and it it is, it's a, it's a totally different way of thinking. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the war of art where Stephen Pressfield talks about going pro. Like Mm -hmm. it's that difference of you show up for resistance when it comes to get you in saying like, no, I'm a professional in this space. Like I'm not playing around. This is just, this is me. I'm owning it. (laughs) 
And that's a, yeah. that's a different step. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Another example of that, um, last year, one of my key commitments to myself was working the system. So whether that was like the system behind our marketing, the system behind our sales, or like on a very tactical level, like what is the system for getting this thing done? And actually sticking to that system and not like playing the entrepreneur card where like somehow our creativity gets us out of like doing the basic work of our businesses. No. And so I stopped allowing myself to do that and committed to working the system. And it has been incredible, but it's very much like that going pro. Like I'm going to hold myself to the same level of accountability. I would hold any person who works for me, any business owner who might, you know, who's in our membership network or maybe in the past would have coached with me. Like Mm -hmm. I've, I've got to do those things too. And I don't get a pass and that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, like that kind of level, I think of, I don't know if it's being hard on yourself or just like personal accountability. There's discomfort in it. But at the end of the day, it there is an inc- incredible level of satisfaction. And I just, I want everyone to experience that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I have a project manager mindset most of the time, mm-hmm. but I my brain was like, oh yeah, I do kind of chase the creativity and let it be an out mm-hmm. because I, well, and sometimes it's so much fun because I'm lost in the what if of like, oh, we could do an entire series about this or like whatever the creative yeah. moment is. But maybe, maybe the way to do that, if you're also drawn to it is set it aside as time for it on your schedule. So it's not mm-hmm. just, we're just chasing this thing today because it came to us, but like write down the idea and then set set it up for next week or whatever, next month. Um, Yeah, that was an important part of our planning for this year. So not only did we plan our editorial calendar out a year ahead of time, we planned our projects out a year ahead of time. There were all these things I wanted to do. And of course, I wanted to do them all in January. (laughs) And I was like, well, I know that I can't do that. And my operations manager was like, thank you. (laughs) Because I have tried in the past. And so we sat down and we were like, when does this make sense? Knowing that we may not stick to it, but that every sort of chunk of time, every opportunity is accounted for on our calendar, which means if I have another brilliant insight of something that I want to make or do, I got to swap it out with something else. I cannot add anything else into our project calendar for the year. I've got to be willing to say no to something. And that has been amazing. And it's only the end of February. (laughs) Yeah. I bet that is because then it also puts you in that spot where you're not, well, and I think anybody in the working world, it does not matter if you have your own business or not, but they're in that space where I think there's the pressure to cram in more and more and more. Mm -hmm. When you have your own business, then you're in that space where, well, that you could, but then you're going to be up till two in the morning and that the most productive time? No. And does that align with what you really wanted when you started all this? No. Are there any other thoughts around pieces that you feel have been really instrumental in you getting to this new place that you feel like maybe would be easy to miss for people? I think the thing for me has been better understanding my goal-orientedness and my overachieverness. Mm. So I don't know if your listeners are Enneagram people, but I'm an Enneagram 3 Um, I'm, yeah, I'm classic overachiever, classic goal oriented, like never met a goal I didn't want to crush kind of person. And I realized in the last year that a lot of times when my life has gone off track, it's been because I've been chasing a milestone, a goal, an accomplishment, instead of asking myself, what do I really want to be doing? 
And so that could be anything. It could be a distance of race that I want to run. It could be weight I want to put on the bar. It could be an amount of money I want to make in my business. It could be a number of members in our community. So many different things. Like just you name it. I've probably attempted it or thought about it or worked it into my plan somehow. And it's probably pulled me way off track. And so over the course of last year, I really started to get focused on divorcing myself from a pattern of chasing those accomplishments and instead asking myself if I wanted to do the things that those accomplishments would require. And if I was 110% committed, if I was steadfastly committed to doing the things that those goals would require, because it's one thing to, to want the medal, right? Like I want the medal that says I finished a marathon. I want that real bad. <laughs> but do I want to follow the marathon training schedule? Originally this year, I thought that I did. I am now at a point where I'm like, I don't know that I do. And so I'm wavering a little bit on that. And that's okay. It's okay because I'm going to be much more intentional about how I spend that time because it's a lot of time to train for a marathon. It's many, many, many hours a week. And so do I want to spend my time doing that or is there something else I want to be doing with that time and am I okay with letting go of that accomplishment in order to spend my time doing what I actually want to be doing? And so really kind of flipping that and focusing on how I want to spend my time the things I want to be doing, the, the direction I want to be moving my life, as opposed to choosing goals and working towards them, has been a game changer for me, life-wise and business-wise. Thank you. Yes. I can totally relate to that thing. <laughs> well, and the thing that always, like the one that amazes me is the podcast has always been the match of do I want to do the thing that it takes to get this thing done? And I always yeah. do. And, and then there's always the out of if it ever, if that answer ever becomes no, then it's, it's okay. We don't have to be totally steadfastly attached. I'm just digging into Enneagram stuff. So it's, uh, it keeps popping up. So it's time. Clearly. Yeah, it's been. Uh, so I've, I've done lots of personality assessments over the years. I was really into Myers-Briggs for a while and I still appreciate Myers-Briggs. But the thing about Enneagram for me that's been most transformational is that it explains the unhealthy and the healthy side. Like it provides a path for growth. Right, yes. Whereas like Myers-Briggs describes who you are and how you interface with the world. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't tell you like how you can be more functional, how you can be healthier, how you cannot second guess yourself so much. There's really useful tools in it and it's been very, very useful for me, but nothing has created real change for me in the most positive ways, the way the Enneagram has. Yes. And I'm also a three. So I'm realizing listeners would not have seen me nod no. at you. But I was like, me too. So yes. It, and it is a little bit like, whoa, this is kind of eerily right on point. So I'll link up to I think there's a couple free ones online if people yeah. are like, I need to dip my toe in this. Do you have anything coming up that you, you'd like to have, you know, invite people to join you in or like that you're offering and where can they find it? Yeah. We, all of our stuff is just so ongoing that there is rarely a big special thing. So normally I just tell people about the podcast and say, you can find it wherever you listen to this podcast or at explorewhatworks.com. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll link up to that one in the show notes. And then last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? 
Oh, good question. I think doing what you say you're going to do, <laughs> as d- hard as it might be, questioning your own assumptions. These are like meta, like vitamin joy things, not like sugary treat joy things. Sorry about that. Oh, um, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> joy is not just that. Yeah, no, I, I'm all on board. That's one of the yeah. challenges too. It's like, it's um, not just Pollyanna joy. Yeah, no, I love that. And then the last one is one of my commitments for this year um, that I have found very useful already, which is to expect success. I, and I'm sure many people listening have a pattern of expecting failure, expecting things to go wrong, expecting us to, you know, like drop the ball. And so I've really been practicing expecting success and acting as if what I do is going to be successful. And it's been awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. I saw that you put that on Instagram and I was like, yes, that was so good. (laughs) Ah, Well, thank you so, so much for joining me and uh, for coming on this week, Tara. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you want to find out more about this episode, including links to the things that we've talked about, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can search for this episode right up there in the right-hand corner of the website, and you'll find it. While you're on the website, I know you're going to want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is Three Joyful Things. It's where I take a look and give you guys the behind the scenes of what I'm really thinking about with each episode, including the inspiration, intention, and action, along with the choices that you can make in your own life to bring some of the things that each guest or I share into your everyday life. So it's a lot of fun. You can find the sign up for that off the homepage or within the show notes of every episode. And I would love to connect with you. I hang out a ton on Instagram where my handle is jumpstartyourjoy. You can also find the Facebook page for this podcast at jumpstartyourjoy. So I hope you guys will come on back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.